What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another brand new Rubbing Muscle podcast with me, TJ, as always. And in today's episode, it's episode 97, I believe, we are joined by Dr. James Hoffman of Renaissance Periodization. This guy is an absolute genius. Not only is he a genius, but he is also a former rugby player. Uh, He was a very good rugby player, I believe. But he also found his love in coaching rugby, where he blended, you know, the idea of um, actually coaching rugby, the sport, with being a sports scientist and trying to train them all in that manner as well. Um, And what that gives us is a real all-around approach to uh, training, eating, just living the rugby life or living whatever life you want to live, but really trying to wrap your head around what you need to do in order to do that. And that starts with how much should I train and what, what should I train and individualization, which are the three main topics of what we really go over today. So how much should I train, how often you should be in the gym, what you should be doing in the gym, and more importantly, what dictates those things. So how you determine what one person needs versus another. And it becomes a really, really good discussion. Clearly, you can see by um, the timestamp, we run right over the 20, 25-minute, 30-minute mark in this episode. But we kept it going because it was really, really important stuff, really good stuff for you guys to listen in. If you did enjoy it, obviously go to iTunes, give us a five-star review. If you mentioned Dr. James, we'll make sure to get him back on the podcast. If you're interested in anything that he has, that's renaissanceperiodization.com. Everything's in the show notes. If you're interested in anything rugby muscle-wise, also in the show notes and at rugby-muscle.com. Other than that, I've got nothing else to say, so let's just get straight into the episode. All right, guys, so today we are joined by... Dr. James Hoffman of Renaissance Periodization. Um, as I just said, I already gave you the intro. People always know this now. So what I want instead is just a quick one sentence, maybe two, if you could describe yourself uh, to, let's, let's just say a stranger at a bus stop. For some reason, you get in a bus. <laughs> just, just one sentence to a stranger, right? I guess I would have to say I'm a bit of a professor. Uh, PhD in all things sports science related. So, uh, how to make an athlete who is great into a world champion or Olympian? Nice, like a I like that bro professor. So, <laughs> someone that studies all the stuff about bro things, right? Essentially, it, exactly. Yeah. Or a professional, either one. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Um, <laughs> cool. So, we, we are flattered to have you on the podcast here today, and we're going to be talking about individualization and just general training volume considerations for rugby players um but before we do that i didn't pre-warn you about this but i like for every podcast yeah here we go i like for every podcast for our guests to give us a completely random fact of the week so it has to be like as random as you can because the last two times i've done this they've ended up being about sports science anyway and i'm like no that's that's not the point you're already on here for that stuff so uh yeah it's probably my fault for sideswiping everyone because to come up with a completely random fact out of nowhere that, you know, it's implied that it has to be interesting is, is difficult. Yeah. I, tr- I, I trust you. I just had one, but it was a sports science one because oh. I was just – so I was like, ah, oh, shit. Now i got to think of another one. Oh. Hmm. What's your sports science one? You can give the uh, other one – you can think of a new one for the next one. Sure, yeah. So one interesting fact is that – you don't even have to physically train 
very often to actually make improvements in a movement, whether it's actually making the movement better or even getting stronger. So one thing that we've actually been seeing more and more is evidence of uh, mental imagery and visualization practice Uh actually having tangible physical effects where they compare people who do like physical training, uh, mental training, and then sometimes combination of both. And it turns out Mental training actually usually better uh, is better than a control group, meaning they actually show a statistical effect that the control group does not. So Ooh. just thinking about shit really hard, right? You just think somebody says, hey, man, you need to work on this. And if you just take some time throughout the week and maybe think about it a little bit more, you can actually increase your strength and or movement ability in whatever skills that you're working on. That's awesome. That's Is that like uh, – is that like who's, who's the, the chick that wrote that book? Uh, Rhonda something. The Secret? Is that like that? Like, oh, you believe it, the universe will uh, serve it to you? <laughs> kind of. There, it's, there, there is a bit of a maybe a placebo thing there too <laughs> and maybe some karma. But they have done – like there's actually a few meta-analyses on it now. And this is something that I've been researching on my um, volume landmark stuff where you can actually just think about some shit and you, you'll actually get stronger. And sometimes you'll get stronger in the uh, antagonistic muscles. So like if you think – if you're thinking about like doing a quadriceps kind of activity like a squat – Sometimes the other muscles like your hamstrings will get stronger or you might think about training one side of your body like I'm thinking about training my left side of my body and you'll get a crosstalk effect and the right side will still get stronger too. It's weird. That's that's pretty awesome though. It's quite, it's like the more we find out about this sort of stuff, I think that would that's going to be like a major player when it comes to like rehab and sort of stuff, right? If you can only do one leg totally. just totally or, or for lazy motherfuckers because then you can just not go to the gym and just be like, right. Today I'm, today I'm training chess and just sit there in front of your PlayStation thinking about yeah. bench press. <laughs> That's what I was doing a little while ago. Yes, yeah. yeah, so, right? So you, that has huge implications for like uh, what we would call a maintenance volume, right? Where you can say like it turns out if you actually – and this isn't just like wishy-washy like, oh, I'm thinking about bench press. But like really spending some time thinking hard about the movement, how it should feel, how it should look and visualizing yourself doing it. That might actually – allow you to achieve like a maintenance volume of training that you might not physically be able to do if you're injured or you're doing like you said rehabilitation or something like that so that's actually pretty cool huh that's a this is the first time ever i think that the fact of the week has sort of just rolled straight into what we wanted to talk about in the podcast (laughs) this is is perfect yeah um so yeah I, i guess it's so it's more it's not and it's that's the big difference though it's not just sitting there sort of half thinking about doing some bench press it's actually real like deep imagery sort of thing right is that yeah is that, okay and i think it i think it is probably best served under more specific circumstances where the the athlete or the individual is given like specific cues like i want you to think about this very explicit thing not just like i want you to think about doing a leg press right because we can just like watch videos <laughs> but, you know that's like a pretty yeah. no brainer but it's yeah. like i want you to vis- feel like your knee angle you know lengthening i want you to feel the mind muscle connection with the quads i want you to visualize yourself doing it and i think that plus like some feedback from somebody like yourself like a you know who's been coaching or training somebody mm-hmm. you say okay i've seen you do it I want you to think about doing it this way with something contextual and specific. I think it's probably better served than yeah. just here's a video of some guy doing an overhead press. Think about that. Yeah, and to sort of to clarify it one last time, it's it's about the the skill of the movement, right? 
No, and and the raw force output, ironically, huh. and this has been demonstrated in uh, not not like super gross motor skills like a squat or a bench press, but if they've done stuff with like people's digits, and they've actually shown that like thinking about uh, doing a movement has actually increased the force output in the digits themselves in like a post test, which is pretty neat. Wow, huh? Yeah, see, so you, you get a little bit of both. Yeah, That's, it's kind of crazy. There could be a lot of application for that. Cool. So yeah, today I wanted to discuss. Um, You've got a book that's out, and you you just told me you're writing the second version of it. Oh no, you're yeah. That is the the how much should I train is the volume landmarks book. So yeah, yeah. Um, you should uh, if you haven't already, you should definitely go and check that book out. Uh, how much should I train? It's called. You can just find it on RenaissancePeriodization.com, right? Yeah, absolutely. And that book serves to answer the question: How much should I train? And that's sort of what I wanted to discuss here because we always get caught up, especially a lot of our listeners in certain types of splits and certain, you know, I train this upper body Monday, lower body Tuesday, or I train chest Monday, back Tuesday, legs Wednesday, etc., etc. Or I train even to the point where it's like, I'll train strength on Monday and I'll do like lighter work on Tuesday or whatever. Um, do you want to just sort of go into like how that sort of holds you back from really making proper progress? Yeah. So I think what a lot of people get into this, this mindset of like, I got to be following this type of training program, or I got to be doing X, Y, or Z. And really, they're missing a really a key fundamental step, which drives all of this, which is that what we call a needs analysis. So if you have somebody who just wants to look good naked, or you got somebody who's a rugby player, right, you should have things that you know, uh, that you need to be good at. You should have some data that says, here are things that I am either competitive, maybe not super competitive, or maybe I'm way above competitive for whatever competition group that I'm in. And those are the types of things that should drive how we start to set up our training program. So for example, you might have a rugby guy, right? And he's like, oh, I'm just doing like push, pull, push, pull kind of thing. And that's okay. He's probably not doing him any major disservice, but really the reality is it's like, okay, how did you do last season, right? How does your, your, your strength compare to other players that you're competing against in your competition bracket? Where do you want to be? Should you be training upper body or lower body even as much as you currently are? Could you be better allocating your time to something like more rugby training, to conditioning, to speed, power, agility work, right? right. To even just doing yeah. film time. Show me where you are good. Show me where you're okay. Show me where you're lacking. That is what really should decide where we allocate our training uh, volumes to. And so it's easy to just say like, okay – Legs upper, legs upper, push, pull, push, pull. Those are just easy things to fall into, right? Um, but we have to kind of, if we want to get to that next level, you got to think about it on a little bit of a deeper level. And that's kind of the conundrum I've been having lately with the volume landmarks where we wrote the book and it was well received, but then everybody's like, how many sets per week should I do for <laughs> biceps? How many sets per week should I do for quads? And I was like, whoa, 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 that's fine. And there, there's there's definitely a need for that. But let's think about it bigger. Let's think about it like for sports, right? Where it's like, okay, you got a, a soccer player, you got a volleyball player, you got a rugby player. You can take that same idea and apply it to the fitness components of their sport, the skills, and the tactics. Like you yeah. can blow that whole idea out into this huge thing. And unfortunately, I'm the only one who gives a shit about that. Everyone else is like, so, anyways, what about abs? I'm like, fuck, fine, yeah. do it. I don't know, do whatever you want. But um, that's kind of where my mind has been at lately, where I'm trying to think of it on a bigger picture. I think that's great. And I think that's. Something that like probably if we if we I mean there's so many different directions we can go with this, but firstly I want I want to talk about that like 
needs analysis, which is is critical, right? Um, the amount of people that I have that the rugby players that come in and they're just training some random program that they saw on men's fitness or that their buddy gave them or they're just training by Phil and they instantly make progress in their in their play, in their games because I'm like right what do you need to improve and no one's ever thought about that they're just like oh I go to lift weights because that's what you're supposed to do and I'm like <laughs> you squat 200 kilos you don't need to be stronger right that's exactly what I've been trying to like. That's the same idea that I've been trying to get across. And I, it's, it's more powerful than people realize because if you have a guy who's like, especially you get like a back row player, like a winger and he's squatting 200 kilos, it's like, dude, you can just do maintenance volume yeah, on your you, leg you training. Need, you can lift like once a week and then think about how much time that frees up for your conditioning. Well, so at the same time, yes. if you're lifting three times a week and you're complaining, ah, oh, I just, I just got out of my fitness and I don't know what I'm going to do. Well, you don't need to up your squat no more. Take that away. God damn, dude. Finally, we're on the same wavelength, right? And that's huge because it could mean like more time on working on rugby skills. It might mean more time doing uh, situational like, you know, set pieces or working on specific situations, all of which like leg training in particular is going to wipe you out from, right? You can only do so much squatting and deadlifting before it really starts taking away how much you can do on the field. And that's true for any sport, um, rugby in particular, because you got to run around and you got to push pull. So that's the idea, right? Like, okay, if, if I have somebody who never misses a tackle, if they are always in the right place at the right time, they have very few errors, never drop passes, how much time do I really need to work skills and scenarios with them when I might be better investing time in fitness, right? Yeah. Where they might just not have very good cardio. They might not have very good strength or power. Maybe I need to do more of that with them. And it's not a one size fits all thing. And that's the, that's the conundrum of like being a coach is like, okay, I want to treat these people as individuals, but if I have a practice session, I have to kind of get all of the individuals at the same place, generally doing the same things, which may not serve everyone in the best way. Yeah. So it's a challenge. Yeah. That's one of the biggest challenges, I guess, like, cause I, I, um, I coach a men's club as well and it is difficult because you've got some people that really need a lot of fitness but if you've only got two sessions a week or even one session a week of, of actual rugby training then it's you know it's, it's hard to individualize that stuff and then it's hard for them people or for those players to then individualize themselves after that because maybe they're getting too much or too little of one thing from that rugby practice and they you know it's a lot harder to practice your your passing or your line speed when you're on your own whereas it's a lot easier to get in right. a squat or deadlift session so and you know some guys are fucking bums about it too like let's be honest right like they'll yeah. come they didn't do any gpp in the off season they didn't do anything they just show up and they're like hey i'm ready to go and then they have to rely on rugby practice to get in shape my yeah. policy has always been like you need to have your baseline fitness covered before you start showing up to practice practices for a practice getting better at skills, getting better at tactics, and then eventually moving into your specific preparatory stuff later on. Not for developing general fitness. Don't be a fucking bum. Yeah, I, I always say that to my guys. I'm like, we've got maybe four hours a week of practice at most. You've got all of the other hours that you can possibly do to work on your fitness. So here we're right. working on skills, here we're working on other stuff. I think actually like I've been watching a lot of that the NFL documentaries on Amazon, that all or nothing thing. I think that's something oh, yeah. that they Those they get really they get that they get that down really well where each nearly every athlete man like has or at least every position has their own dedicated coach and so they can actually work a lot more around the individual and give the individual exactly what they need from a strength from all of those sort of standpoints skill all of it 
Yeah. Foot, you know, especially football, they have so much money and resources. You know, it's 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 kind of a hard one to it's it's good because they set a good example in that regard. But it's hard to, like, bring it back to other sports because they don't have, you know, 100 people on their staff that they can just like allocate to all these different players doing different stuff. But they do do a good job. Um, the w- one thing that you see with football, which is kind of a conundrum, though, is that they're all kind of doing fuck all for their strength conditioning where they might have a <laughs> yeah. personal trainer or they might be following the teams or maybe doing a little bit of both. It's it's just a mess. Yeah, that's true. That's absolutely true. But they, I mean, at least they get that bit right. Um, yeah. yeah. Which is arguably, you know, depending on how you look at it, it could be more important, right? Like ultimately the goal is not to be the strongest football player or the most powerful. It's to be the best football player, which is a combination of the fitness skills and tactics. So if you can't make field goals, if you can't throw and catch, like you're probably not going to be very good despite how much you squat. Yeah, for sure. That's that's really good, and that, and then that brings us back around. If we can go back into um, the volume volume landmarks in a way where, or, or actually, let's go back to the needs analysis. So, because before we figure out how much we can train, we've got to figure out what we're training for. So, um, what what differences would you see? And we're gonna take this like all the way back, and just in a in a training plan with a rugby player versus a non-rugby player, is there any some is there any things that the rugby player like? Even if he says, "Look, man, I don't, I'm not really bothered about getting better at rugby. I enjoy it. I enjoy playing on the weekends and I enjoy practice because I'm training with my buddies." But really, I'm not too fussed about that. Is there any difference between a rugby player and a non-rugby player in their in their weight training? I guess. I mean, if you're if you're just doing it for recreation and fun, you can approach the weight training the same way. Like whatever you want to get out of it is what you're going to get out of it, right? But if you're stepping under the rugby pitch to be an excellent rugby player, it doesn't mean you want to be a in super league. It doesn't mean you want to be on the national side. It just means you want to be competitive, right? right? Then there's a big difference. Then you actually have to start looking at these things and saying like, okay, if I take a homogenous group or if I take the people that I'm going to be competing against, I need to know their performance measures, right? Like what, how many, uh, goals, drop goals are they going to make or how many, uh, you know, kicks or how many tries or how many tackles or how many breakaways. Those are types of things I want to start learning about and understanding. So I know how to be competitive. I want to know about their fitness, right? Like what's their like intermittent recovery test that they do? What's their strength in their legs? How much can they, how fast can they run? How high can they jump? Now I have some comparative values to look at and I can look at myself or my athletes and say, okay, how do you stack up compared to like division one, right? Or division three. Uh, I did a, I was coaching small college rugby in uh, ETSU and that was a shit show. It was really fun, but never, it, you know, you, you'd yeah. have like, you'd have like uh, our team ETSU, which is just like a bunch of country boys. And then you'd have like Duke out of nowhere. Oh. Boom. Right. Yeah. Just totally crazy. But so ideally you'd want to know like, okay, What's what's the team? Who are the teams we're competing against? How do they generally stack up on a lot of these measures? Right. So we look at things like strength, power, you know, their performance stuff. And then we can look at our athlete and say, OK, we have these these things that we know are critical to rugby. Right. We know that you need to be powerful, intermittent uh, recovery, and you need to be strong. How do you compare against all these other guys? Now we can start putting a, a little label on it where we can say, OK, maybe you're competitive on some things. Maybe you're above competitive on other things and you're below competitive on some other things, right? And that is really important because now we know how we can start affecting our training. So if we have a guy who's really, really above competitive levels, meaning usually like more than two standard deviations above what other people are doing mm-hmm. – there's a pretty good case you could make that says you could probably put whatever those things are closer to maintenance volumes. Now, 
Another argument might be, hey, if that guy's really, really awesome at those things, those are the things that are probably going to carry him or her throughout their rugby career. Yeah. So it might be good to cultivate those things as well and keep yeah. getting better. So I think there's a case you can make both ways. Or you could also start looking at the other end where you say, here are the things that are definitely holding you back. Like you are a f- prop and you squat, you know, like 100 kilos, right? This is just not going to fly. You just need to be stronger. There's no way around it, right? And that is definitely holding you back. So leg strength is a huge priority, right? And that's where we can say, you know what? Now I know leg strength is a big thing. I'm going to be training that from MEV, which is a minimum effective volume, all the way up through MRV throughout each mesocycle because that's that important to me. Other things then become negotiable. If you have somebody who's very average at other measures, you say, okay, you know, they can either go minimum effective volume to try and get a little bit better over time, or you could even put it on the back burner and say, you know what, maintenance volume, and let's ramp up other things. That's the art of coaching. There's not a right or wrong answer to a lot of these questions, but it does give you some tools to start systematically looking at these things and prioritizing them in a plan. Nice. Um, And then to go back to that, um, the prop, right, that squats 100 kilos. Um, Now, I I would get an argument sometimes from people to say, hey, this, you know, we, we, we have no doubt that this guy needs to be stronger, but now he's sore for his training sessions or, or now, you know, because his 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 legs are so far behind, like I don't know his skill element or whatever, it's impacting that. What would you what would you say to that to someone that's like coming at you with that sort of question? Yeah, it's it's definitely a trade off, right? So you can't just magically increase one thing and expect that it won't come at the expense of something else. So yeah. leg training is is very evident and is a very good example because if you start having a guy squatting twice per week or, or just increasing his leg volume in general, you better believe it's going to have a he's going to have a harder time doing his conditioning, doing his practice stuff. So what we're going to be looking at is kind of a short term cost for a long term benefit, where we say, hey. This is something that is significantly holding this guy back. He will not – he or she will not be competitive at all, ever, right, if this does not get fixed. So I'm going to really try and work on this so that in the long term, we can get this person in the green. Right now, they're in the red, right, and there's just no coming back from this. That means that, yes, there are going to be some training sessions that don't go as well. But luckily, we're going to adjust our volumes from our other sources, right? So maybe they're doing a little bit less at practice or maybe they're doing a little bit less conditioning so that that fatigue also comes down and it becomes more manageable. So yeah. it's not just it's not just like one thing goes up and everything stays the same. It's, okay, one thing goes up, everything else comes back down a little bit, and we kind of wax and wane some of our elements in training. And for the most part, it ends up not being super disruptive. But yeah, we get this with uh, like professional sports too. Like NBA players notoriously don't train legs because they say, oh, it makes me slow or it makes me sore and then I can't do stuff. Yeah, that is true. Uh, but that effect is temporary, right? Once you start doing your fatigue management and like your, your peaking and tapering stuff for competition – that all goes away. And now you can express all this new leg strength, which is going to allow you to jump higher and sprint faster and fucking dunk with your nuts in people's face and all that good stuff. So it's a, it's a short term cost for a long term gain. You know what I mean? It's one of those situations. Perfect. Um, and that also ties into a bit of, uh, that ties into a bit of phase potentiation as well. Right. Definitely. Um, Because, I've seen people that, you know, they've got weak legs, but because they've got weak legs, they're also really, really, really slow, right? Now, the strength, trying to strengthen the legs out is going to impact, you know, you, any sort of speed work you try and do. But if you get it, if you order, if you get a coach or if you've just done some research, that's, that's another one of your books, right? Scientific Principles of Strength Training. 
Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there we go. And we've got phase potentiation there, which says, you know, if you can get strong, if you can get your leg stronger first, then you have more potential down the line to then get that speed anyway. There's no, not as much need to work them all at the same time and have them all impact each other. Because if you try and shoot 50 rabbits at once, you shoot none. If you try and shoot one, you might get it. And yeah, that's a perfect example because that goes back to the needs analysis where you say, okay, my guys or girls slow, right? They're slow. They're whatever measurement that you want to use, right? Maybe it's 40 meter, 20 meter, something like that. Mm-hmm. Well, why are they slow, right? Do they, are they uncoordinated? Is their technique bad? And you say, no, their technique's okay. It's not terrible. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about like their leg strength? Well, their leg strength is really shitty. Oh, well, those are probably going to go hand in hand. And what science has showed us, and, and speed is a good example of this, is that there is kind of a prerequisite amount of strength you need at least to really get a lot out of really specific power and speed work. That doesn't mean that you can't do it. It just means that if you're not a certain level of strength, you're just not, it's just not a good bang for your buck to do a lot of superpower speed stuff it's probably equal bang or if not better just to do strength stuff before get those legs nice and strong because really the limiting factor to you being fast is just force it's not it's not really yeah. power yet it's just force you just don't generate much force so it's um a better investment at that point and that again kind of tying it back into the needs analysis they're slow because they're weak right so then yeah let's work on strength that'll make them fast because we know that like maybe they're not a motor moron maybe their technique and their running stuff is fine they're just weak beautiful yeah yeah and like again getting your face potentiation in the wrong order i kind of see it like um it's like if you're going to a buffet line right but you've got like a tiny plate like no small like the size of your palm right you're gonna have to keep going keep going doing it forever whereas if you if you have like a just to take a giant plate or just a giant fucking tray you can load that bitch up. That's and and just getting that tray is <laughs> yeah. it's it's like doing all of your strength work or all your GPP stuff beforehand. That stuff will just enhance your experience later down the line. Whereas you can you can go ahead and do your speed training right now, but you're not going to get your best bang for your buck, and you're going to have to keep doing it to get to where you could be. You know, down down the line, <laughs> a year, six months time. Yeah, I totally agree, man. It's spot on. Absolutely cool. true. All right. So uh, last question on this sort of volume landmark stuff is: we get a lot of people that ask about how how they should different how they should train when they're like in season versus the off season and uh you know because there's a big difference in your week where there's you know two to three times you're having giant giant blokes running into you as hard as you can trying to take you down or you're trying to take them down it gets real physical so that's definitely got to have impact on people's training um do you want to go into how that should impact your training yeah, absolutely. There's a couple different routes we can go. So forgive me if I'm a little scatterbrained on this one. <clears throat> so just some general trends when we go to in season now, keep in mind, there is a huge individualization factor here. So let's just say, for example, if you had a college freshman and a college senior, their in season phases might be completely different, mm-hmm. right? They might have completely, they don't even look the same on paper, right? So just keep that in mind. But if we're just kind of outlining some general trends, right? As you move in season, most of your specific fitness training, so your strength work, your power work, your conditioning stuff, essentially gets moved into maintenance volumes, which is abysmally low. Like we're talking probably less than 30% of what you need to actually get better at fitness. So it's really, really right. low. Now, what's really interesting 
is that your um, sport training, what we I would call tactics, which is you going and doing sport training like rugby, goes up, right? And what we, we would call basically minimum effective volume or even up to what we would call the maximum adaptive volume. Basically like trying to get as much out of your rugby training as you can, right? Yeah. And that's the idea. What's interesting though, that there is some kind of crosstalk on some of those things. And so what you would also find is that that rugby training, the same thing that you need to do anyway, is actually helping you cover some of the volume that you need for fitness in terms of your speed work, your yep. conditioning, maybe even your strength work to some degree. It's covering you on your skills as well. So when you're doing your scrimmaging, you're working on scenarios, you're working on set pieces, you're still having to do all those same basic rugby skills that you've been practicing for a long time. Now you're just doing them in a live setting. So the cool thing about the in-season phase is you kind of move everything else to maintenance volume, but your tactics stuff, the stuff that you do at your practice, is kind of covering you on most of that. So the short version is basically everything else can go down really low, lower than you probably think. You don't need to spend a lot of time kicking drop goals after practice. You don't need to spend a lot of time uh, doing a lot of fitness stuff. Most of that will be covered. You do have to do some, yeah. but probably not a ton because a lot of it is covered by that maintenance volume. Now – you can go a number of different routes on this. Uh, generally, what we recommend in the in-season phase for the fitness stuff, you're doing mostly repeated sprintability or high-intensity intermittent kind of stuff, which you get from practice. Mm -hmm. you're, for the weight training, you're doing your power, explosive stuff, maybe a little bit of maximal strength in there, maybe some speed, agility, change of direction, that kind of stuff. You're probably not doing a ton of skill work, like specific skill work, unless you have somebody who is deficit in some particular area that they need to work on. And again, yeah, just a lot of tactics. So going back to the beginning where we said, okay, but what if you had a freshman and a senior? How would they be that different? Well, just as an example, that senior might be looking to go in semi-pro or even pro. Like I had a, I had a guy who was uh, – now he's playing with the Saracens up in Seattle. And so you can imagine like his training nice. program was a little bit different because he was more advanced. He was already pretty good at rugby and he was already really fit, which was uh, a big bonus. You might have somebody else who is like a you know, 55-kilogram freshman and they want to play uh, in that same Saracens team. And guess what? You're just not big enough. You're just yeah. simply not large enough. So you might find that that same player might even be doing something like hypertrophy training in his in-season phase, especially if he's not you know, yeah. a starting, starting player. Is that bad for a performance? Yes. Is it good for making long-term gains so that by the time he's a senior, now he's maybe closer to 70 kilograms, 75 kilograms, and now he might be more competitive? Yes. That's the idea. So that's where individualization comes in when you say, I can't just have all of my team doing the same thing. I have some players who need to be performing at their absolute best capacity. I have others who have longer-term goals, be it strength or hypertrophy or whatever, that I'm accommodating at the same time. So it gets a little crazy. Yeah, because so like it impacts like it, you know for that guy that's doing hypertrophy during the week or during in season, like it's gonna it is definitely gonna have some sort of impact on that Saturday or Sunday game. One hundred percent. We're not targeting that next Saturday Sunday game. We're targeting a game a few years from now where now you've developed a bit of muscle. You're still playing. You've done all of that skill stuff, and and you and you're better, and and. Because of all of that stuff, you recover better. You you know you're just a better athlete. And if you're fitter to go to the senior guy, if you're fitter, if you're just more, if you're playing at a high level, each rugby practice isn't actually taking as much out of you. And the games, they're not taking anywhere near as much out of you as they would do for that freshman. So yeah, that like, that makes a lot of sense. How it's not just a case of saying, hey, in season versus off season. It's like who are you and what do you need to do. 
and then we we adjust from there. One, dude, man, you nailed it. That was perfect. Yeah, and then like what's and then the biggest impact is that one. I mean, you said a lot about training, but I think the biggest impact in season is, you know, you've got that 80 minute match every single week. And that's, that's like a big training session in in of, of itself, which is why, you know, like we said, uh, touched on earlier, those lazy bastards that they use <laughs> rugby to get fit because it's a very good thing because you really do challenge yourself. So, yeah. Yeah, it's, it, it, it is unfortunate. I mean, like, I, I don't want to hate on people who are doing it recreationally. That's not like what I'm, you know, I'm trying to say, yeah. but it's one of those things. It's like when um, somebody's, and this is true for any sport where they were like, hey, coach, I want to be the best. And you're like, okay, cool. Like, are you hydrated uh, most of the time? Do you sleep well? And they're like, no, I don't do any of those things. And you're just like, get the fuck out of here. What are you doing? <laughs> you're not serious. You're not serious about this. And that's okay. That's there's a place for that, and there's recreational rugby. Yeah. That's a thing, and there's, there's like there's D three, there's like all sorts of fun stuff. Um, but when you have people and they're telling you, hey, like I want to be better, like well, don't be a lazy bastard. Make sure you're fit when you sh- by the time you show up to practice already. Don't don't be that guy who hasn't touched a ball, hasn't done a drop goal, hasn't run at all yeah. for the whole off season. You know, yeah, and, and don't and be that complaining guy. about everyone else. Don't do that. Yeah. Don't yeah. be that guy. Oh, man. Uh, this Driving. was brilliant, mate. Um, where can people follow you? Where can they find your stuff? So we've mentioned renaissanceperiodization.com. They'll find all of your stuff there. Uh, yeah, that's the main one. Uh, Mike, uh, Isratel and I do a weekly webinar on us, another program called we call it RP Plus, which is a, a really cool database where we make uh, a lot of videos. Some of them are the same courses that we taught in our collegiate career when we were professors. We do a weekly webinar every week where you can literally just shoot us questions and we'll answer them for you right there on the webinar. That's usually the best place to find me. RP and RP plus. Nice. Awesome. Um, I was going to say, get people to follow your, uh, Instagram. Is it RP Dr. James? <laughs> RP Dr. So, James. I remember I... listening to a podcast with you like last year or no, no, I didn't listen to podcasts. I saw you post it. You posted like a week of your own strength training because you're like, ah, these people have been giving me shit. I suppose, I guess I've got to start posting my training and stuff. You did it for about a week and then it went straight back to cats. Dude. Okay. So like, you people compare me to mike like mike is really active on social media i'm not like i mine's like stupid heavy metal jokes anime jokes cats like i'm like a typical user i'm not like a fitness guy user so people literally i did we did a seminar in new york and somebody came up afterwards and was like oh man i've been following you forever i'm like whoa that's so cool nice to meet you and he was like dude your instagram fucking sucks and i was like it's just my it's just my personal thing i don't i don't know i just do it for fun so yeah, yeah. It's funny because I, I linked it into my stories today to say, you know, for the questions for this next episode. And I clicked on the account and I was like, people people don't know who this if he's actually, what, like, what, if, if they only know him through Instagram, they just think, oh, I'm interviewing some, some guy that travels and loves cats. Yeah. Somebody DM'd me the other day and, was, and literally the question was, who are you? And I was like, <laughs> I was like, rude, what, first of all. Why, why, are you, why are you trying to, why are you DMing me? What? Yeah, I was just like, I don't know what you want me to say. I'm me. Like, I, I'm not trying to sell myself to you here. Like, what do you want to know? It was funny. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, thank you for coming on. And um, well, you're going to be on in the next one anyway. So, uh, in a in a magic podcast, two days. We'll see you then. All right. Thanks for having me, buddy. All right, guys. Thank you very much for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, or if you've enjoyed any episode of the Robbie Muscle Podcast, please go ahead and give us a five-star rating and type a quick review. It takes about a minute and it really helps us out a ton, helps grow the show, helps grow Rugby Muscle. 
and in turn we will be able to give you guys the best quality content information and programs that we possibly can if you're interested in any of that stuff like the free physique nutrition video series or the tj strength supplement guide or the 50 free rugby conditioning sessions you can find them all at rugby-muscle.com or by going through my instagram profile at tj.strength give me a quick follow and until next time guys i've been your host as always tj see you soon